I would like to read the scripture for you before we begin. This is, uh, I want to just read our passage for today. And uh, we're coming, obviously, in the book of John. And uh, today we are looking in chapter 15, and we'll be uh, verses 12 through uh, 17. Here's the word of the Lord. Would you stand in reverence, if you can, uh, of the word of God? This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The word of the Lord. And if you were in certain churches, you would say, praise be to God. You may be seated. Our world is filled with lonely people. From corporate head offices to schools, to university campuses, to neighborhoods, to malls, even to churches. This past week in one of the schools in New York region, a student jumped from a third floor into a crowded atrium of kids. I read this by Thomas Wolfe called The Anatomy of Loneliness, where he said, the whole conviction of my life now rests upon the belief that loneliness, far from being a rare and curious phenomenon, particular to myself and a few other solitary men, is the central and inevitable fact of our human existence. That's a difficult statement. But that was written 50 years ago in 1973. Things have escalated and gotten worse. We thought with all of our technology and all of our uh, you know, advancements that actually relationships would get worse. Listen to these stats, the Canadian stats just of this recently. Between 25 and 30% of Canadian population feels persistent loneliness and social isolation. And it's not just from COVID. I read a study recently or this past uh, couple of days ago that actually some people, this is how recent the research is, that since COVID started and we can go out, people are feeling more lonely than they were in COVID. Studies all seem to agree that young people are lonelier than the elderly and middle-aged. Is that like, for those of us who are older, isn't that not bizarre? It seems. Studies show that the more people spend time on social media stuff, the more lonely and depressed they get. Studies all seem to agree that loneliness has a significant effect upon our physical health and even our mortality. 
A friend of mine, uh, De- uh, Dennis Brown, he uh, became a follower of Jesus up in Ottawa, and I remember his statement. He said to me, he said, I remember one day he talked to me after being a Christian uh, for a few years. He said this. He said, you know what? Truth be told, I miss the bar. I said, the, explain. He says, I miss going to the bar. Back in those days, like the bar was a thing, <laughs> Right? He said, I go there after work and I meet with the same guys. We talk about our day. Yeah, I have a drink or two and we'd actually open up. And I've never really found that since becoming a Christian. My heart broke. Very interesting study was done on human happiness. Uh, Karen Smith sent me this video and I remember watching it. It was a TED talk by... Robert Waldinger, if some of you may have seen it. It's the longest standing single study in the history. Done by Harvard University. The same study studying men and their families from when they were boys. Some were at Harvard, younger men. Others were the poorest boys on the streets of Boston. And they have studied them and stayed with them till this day. 80 some odd years. Maybe close to 90 now. He's the fourth director of the study. I encourage you to look up that, that talk and to listen to that. It's 12 and a half minutes. His conclusion in all of their study of what leads to personal happiness is not what they thought when they studied For everyone they said when they started that study said it was their money, their fame, their accomplishments. But what they found in life in this long-going study time and time and time again is what actually brings happiness is deep, dependable relationships that makes them most truly happy. They found that they are good for our physical, mental, and psychological health and our longevity. I remember listening to John Orberg one time. He's a pastor and author, and he, he said, uh, he was talking about this study that was done where there's interviewing of children about dealing with loneliness. And so the kids gave their answers, solutions. And uh, one of them says, one kid said, it's easy. Just take every lonely person and match them up with a not lonely person. Here's my favorite. They said this. Why can't they just make food that talks to you? Then no one will be lonely anymore. (laughs) Surely someone can come up with an idea that takes care of the loneliness factor in our world. Well, someone has. And that person is Jesus. And his idea is the church. Sadly, it doesn't always happen. But that's on us, not on Jesus nor his plan. God was right. It's not good for people to dwell alone. And our passage today is going to reveal some profound truth on our relationship with Jesus. Jesus teaches his followers about friendship. He's going to teach them about friendship. 
Just in the first number of verses of chapter 15, Jesus talked about an illustration about his union and his relationship with people, and he used an illustration called a vine and we are branches. Describing the essential nature of the life that we share. Whereas a part, not really religion, it's more of a relationship that has religious things about it. Just as a branch draws its life from the vine, so we draw our very life from Jesus. And I abide in him and his love and in his word, and he then lives in me and his life flows through me. But this union with Jesus is never isolated from people. And my dependence on him will not make me independent from his body. A.B. Simpson in his book, The Echoes of the New Creation, says that fruit from the vine always happens in clusters. You see, receiving God's love in and through Christ is foundational for you and I to love one another. Biblical friendship is not simply based on mutual attraction or affinity. And one of the great downfalls of the church in the 80s, 90s was this, to set up small group ministries based on affinity. They taught it. I went to half a dozen seminars and workshops. And what did it do for us? It inculcated into the fabric of our churches how to arrange our lives to be around people that are only like us and that we, whom we like. And we're still reaping the consequences of it. Rather, our relationship is based on loving others in the name of Jesus and his love is not just our standard, it's our source. Both Henry Nouwen and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if they were alive here today, would exhort us with this helpful perspective that actually we love Jesus in one another. Not just loving one another. We actually love Christ in them. And Christ in us helps us to love. And so... in. Chapter 12, or verse 12, Jesus repeats the command. Remember in chapter 13, he said, I have a new commandment for you. Love one another as I have loved you. And you've heard us say this here before at Summit. You'll hear it probably umpteen times again. It's new by degree of how we are to love. Under the old covenant, love your neighbor as yourself. Now we love one another as I, Jesus said, have loved you. The bar of what that love looks like just went up. That's why it's new. But it's not just that. It's also new because I cannot fulfill this command by myself. Love one another. It must be reciprocal in order to be fulfilled. That's what's new about it. I could love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength by myself. I could love my neighbor as myself without you. But I can't love one another in the body without your participation. It's new. And so now he repeats it again. That was in chapter 13, verse 34. Now we have it in chapter 15, verse 12. Jesus repeats it and he says, love one another as I have loved you. You know, remember, this is, this is like the last gig it's happening. In just a couple of hours, he's going to leave the upper room. He's going to be betrayed and arrested, crucified the next day. This is, he's preparing his people for how to live in his absence. 
And we've heard things, and we're going to hear some more about what the Holy Spirit does. We're going to learn how to live in a hostile world next week. But he's preparing them, and one of the wonderful things he's preparing them is on the relational dynamic between one another, brothers and sisters. We'll never make it on our own. So he says, love one another as I have loved you. And then he's going to repeat it again at the end in verse 17. He's going to say it again. This I command you, love one another. And sandwiched in between these commands to love, he's going to reveal something about his own friendship and relationship with us, not just for us to appreciate and love him more, but as a model to move us to how we are to actually build friendships within the church and love one another. So as we go through this passage, for teaching purposes, I'm going to rearrange. Are you okay with that? I'm going to rearrange the text just slightly, just for the purposes of teaching. We read this in uh, verse 33. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Some of you have become Christians or some of you are on a journey maybe or you, you know, you've begun and you think that, man, you just made this decision that you're going to follow Christ. You did. But God is always previous. Think about that. Jesus chose you before you chose him. And in his great love for you, he sent his spirit to begin to draw you. You became interested. He opened up the scripture. He helped you to see your own condition. He led you by the hand all the way. Yes, you chose him. No question about it. But he chose you first. You did not choose me, I chose you. Jesus' friendship with his followers, first of all, we show at the beginning, his friendship was one of initiative. Jesus began our relationship by taking the initiative. He didn't sit back and wait for us. He sent his spirit, as we've heard, to do all of these things. He is always previous. You might want to write that down. God is always previous. In our discipleship pathway here at Summit, we talk about this, that at the heart of a disciple of Jesus, an intentional follower, we live in a responsive relationship to the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's where it all begins. He's at work and we respond to him. We love God because he first loved us, the scripture says. And Jesus' friendship began by initiative, his compelling grace. Isn't that good news? I love the fact that Jesus' friendship with me started by his taking the first step. I don't know if I ever would have gone to him. There's a lot of scriptures that say we wouldn't. Next verse. In verse 15, he said this, I no longer call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you, what's the word? Say it again. Do you believe that? I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. So he began with initiative, but then we see in his conversations with us, in his communication with us, it actually, his conversation was one of intimacy. Jesus' conversations with his followers 
increased in their level of transparency and intimacy the longer he was with them. To those Jesus called friends, he told them things he didn't tell everyone else. Do you tell everything to every person? Do you tell things to friends what you might not tell other people? You see, Jesus did that. He gave them a new name from servants to friends. He gave them new insights. Shared information about the Father and about who they are, the, the triune God, about how they work, their plans and purposes in their life, about the future. Jesus shared with them spiritual insights, personal and relational information about God. He shared with them how he was feeling when he was weary, when his soul was disturbed, when he wept with grief or when he got angry. Jesus' communication with his followers was marked by intimacy. We tell secrets to friends. And Jesus told things to his disciples as he moved them from servants to friends. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. Well, it started with initiative and the conversation was personal and intimate, transparent. But the extent of his friendship with his followers was one of sacrificial love. He laid down his very life. Greater love is known than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. This wasn't like done in an act of a moment where he suddenly saw something and just decided to throw his life in front of a bus to save somebody. No, before he left his glory in the heavenly dimension, he, before he took on human nature and flesh, in an ultimate act of sacrifice, he deliberately chose to lay down his very life. He emptied himself, became a human. It was a perf- purposeful, calculated, planned in eternity, committed during his life, surrendered to in the garden plan. And he lovingly laid down his life of his own accord in order to secure our forgiveness. The ultimate measure of his friendship with us was the cross. There's dozens of ways in which he also laid down his own life and his own comforts, his own desires, how he preferred others, and on and on. But make no mistake, the extent of Jesus' friendship was one of sacrifice. It wasn't self-centeredness. It wasn't comfort. It wasn't convenience. It was sacrificial love. And we are the beneficiaries. Praise be to God. Verse 14, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Notice what Jesus did not say, because most of us read this with a certain intent, whether it's our upbringing, whether it's teaching we've heard in the church or what have you. Most of us read this this way. You become my friends if you do what I command. He didn't say you become his friends by obeying him. He says you are my friends if you obey me. 
He's talking about the influence that he has, the impact that he has on people's lives. When we become friends with Jesus, it changes everything. He changes our nature. He, now we want to. We get to obey his commands because we want to, because we're his friends now. So the impact of his friendship with us was transformation. It's not earned by obedience. It was revealed by our obedience that we are his friends because we want to obey him. That's a natural result of a regenerated heart that's full of the spirit, a new heart and a new nature that wants to please him. And so we obey. It's a natural result of being his friend. So he begins to transform us and shape our character. He renews our thinking and our attitudes and shaping of our affections and what we value deeply. Yes, that's the effect of real friendship of Jesus on us. He changes us to become more like himself. He has such a positive effect on us. So truly encountering Jesus' friendship will bring real and deep life change. Our last one at the end of our passage. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Here's the purpose of our friendship, his friendship with us, that we would be fruitful. Fruitfulness. To enable us to become more fruitful for God, to bear kingdom fruit, the fruit of Christ-like character of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, the fruit of making brand new disciples, new ones, strong ones, effective ones, fruitful ones. The fruit of praise and gratitude as we sang this morning. Through prayer and through testimony and song and through giving of our resources, it's the fruit of gratitude and praise the fruit of service to build up and edify his church, his body. So Jesus' friendship brought out absolutely the best in people, made them more like him and productive in his kingdom. Does this make sense to you? And then he ends with love one another. So talking about Jesus is not a shallow or simplistic topic that's reserved for some at kids, that he'll become your forever friend. Sometimes we think about that. And I know there's a tendency, even myself, I love theology. I love to study the hypostatic union and the incarnation, the kenosis theory. I love, I just love theological work. And sometimes... Some of you do too. And so to talk about or teach about friendship seems simplistic somehow. Shallow. But if Jesus, who is God in the flesh, reveals to us friendship, and you know what? This is the only passage in all of the Gospels where Jesus actually teaches about friendship. And if it's in the Gospel, and if he taught about it, it's good enough for me. And I give it as much weight as I do about theology of other types 
Listen to the response of one of the most respected theologians in the last 50 years as he talks about or contemplates Jesus' friendship with him personally. Some of you know the name J.I. Packer, the late J.I. Packer. Listen to what he said. There is tremendous relief in knowing that Jesus' friendship with me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the best and the worst about me. I love this. No new discovery can disillusion him about me in the way I'm so often disillusioned about me. There is, certainly, great cause for humility in the thought that he sees all the twisted things about me that people do not see. The brokenness, the pain, the less than wise choices. And yet, he wants me as his friend and desires to be my friend. In fact, he gave his life for me in order to realize this purpose. If you've never read the book, Knowing God, I encourage you to do that. But this is what J.I. wrote when he thought about friendship with Jesus and Jesus' friendship with him. Yes, his friendship with his followers began with initiative, The conversation was intimate and transparent. The extent of it was sacrifice, and his impact on us is transformation. His purpose was fruitfulness, that we would see God work through us. These things I command you so that you love one another. There's purpose for him telling these things, and he encourages us to implement the same things. So these factors actually are ones that he calls us to in our own relationships. Do you take initiative? He calls us to reach out and make the first step, to intimacy in our in our communication, to sacrificial love, transformation, and purposefulness. I leave you with these questions to consider. Do I initiate attempts at starting friendships? Are you the first to step across the aisle, to walk across the room, to cross the street or the hall or the aisle to meet someone? Do I make the call, give the first invite? Or do I sit back? And Jesus would encourage us. I know that's difficult for some. But Jesus' friendship begins with initiative. Here's the second question. How do I risk deeper conversational intimacy? Do I take risk in being open? Do I keep my walls up and safe? Wear my mask? That means something different than... (laughs) COVID. I meant, you know, like full, like mask, mask, like, anyway, you get it, I think. <laughs> Am I afraid of authenticity or transparency or vulnerability? Have I shared, shared my fears with a friend or my weakness? Do we talk about that stuff? Do you talk about how you're doing spiritually? 
Do you talk about what Jesus is doing in you? Do you ask for prayer and how God's working on your character or changing your attitudes or molding your values? Or do we only talk about the beautiful weather, the leaves, the latest TikTok video, or the wonderful meal that you ate somewhere? Or do we talk about things that are a little deeper? Here's the third one. What are the limits of my friendship? Can you, you need to ask yourself these questions. What are the limits? In what ways do you sacrifice for friends? Do you? Or are your limits real, real tight? Do you give of your time and your energy and resources? Do you risk your reputation? How do you lay your life down for your friends? How do you die to self or inconvenience yourself? Give preference to others. Consider their needs above your own. Well, boundaries are important. You know, people wrote books on this. Preventing us from compassion fatigue or being taken advantage of. So boundaries have their place. My question is, are they too restrictive and too protective? What do you sacrifice in order to provide or receive forgiveness from your friends? Are you willing to die to your pride or your reputation? What are the limits of your friendship? Is it only if they treat you nicely? Is it only if they add value to you? Is it only if it doesn't cost you anything? Here's a fourth, fifth one. How do I influence my friends towards life change? God works through people. Some of the greatest steps in my life in making changes have come as a result of being in relationship with people that have spoken into my life, challenged me with things, mentored me along. What is my impact on friends? What's yours? Do we influence them positively or do they influence us negatively? Do we encourage people towards Christ to live, help them to live more intentionally? Do we affect positive change in them? When I was younger, uh, one of my mentors uh, gave a wonderful youth talk, Brian Bueller, and I remember him standing up there and he was talking about two different things. He said, one, he had this big thermostat, or sorry, thermometer. And thermometers just read the atmosphere, right? They read the surroundings and tell you what's going on there. Whereas a thermostat, he had a big thermostat, thermostats set the temperature. They influence their surroundings. And so Christians, for one another, we ought to be thermostats, not thermometers. And that's how Jesus, do we influence people towards life change? Is our relationship with them transforming? And they're lastly, how am I helping friends be more fruitful? How? Do I encourage them in their witness? You know, last week we had, or on uh, anniversary Sunday, we had a woman come to faith in Christ. I shared that with you. But what I really wanted to do after celebrating that was going to the people who were invested in their lives. And this young couple, who was told strangers from them, saw a woman in distress and then began to uh, walk with them, help them, encourage them. 
She said, I didn't even know these people weeks and weeks ago. Well, they helped their friend. They stood out. They cared for them. They invited them. They shared Jesus with them. And I want to encourage them in their witness. I just celebrated them as much as I celebrated uh, Rebecca's faith. I celebrated them. Do I believe in my friends? Do I believe that God would work in them or through them? Am I speaking confidence into others? Do I build into my friends teaching and mentoring or sharing them how to be effective? Am I helping them find their strengths? Am I encouraging the good things they do? Am I helping them find their spiritual gifts and affirm what I see in them and their growth? Am I okay if they become more successful than me or you? Our influence upon them is just to see them flourish. So I leave these questions with you, friends. Because friendship to Jesus and with Jesus, like he initiated, you know, he was intimate with us. He sacrificed for us and he helped us, he transformed us and wants us to be fruitful. And this is how we love one another as Christ loved us. May God help us because none of us do this perfectly. Every one of us have a weakness in one of these five areas. We do. My encouragement to you would be take friendship seriously. Let Jesus, your friendship with Jesus, be a model and a source for your friendships with others in the body. Amen.